0: Well, if you will, open with me to Philippians uh, chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And if you haven't been with us uh, the past uh, few weeks, we have been making our way uh, through Philippians uh, chapter 1. And this morning, we're going to be looking specifically uh, at verses 19 through 30. To uh, finish off uh, chapter 1, it has been uh, wonderful to look at this chapter with you all, and it's hard to think that our time is closing together as we look at uh, this letter. So this week we will conclude chapter 1, and next week we will look at the first beginning verses of chapter 2. So if you will, follow along with me as we read the Word of God this morning. Starting in verse 19, we read, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart For it has been guaranteed to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here that I still have. And will you go to the Lord in prayer with me this morning? Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this another opportunity to come this morning, and to worship your holy name. We ask that as we come now to this prescient moment in our worship service, that we get to look even more deeply at your word, Father, that you would open our eyes to see, that you would open our ears to hear, that you would open our hearts to obey your word this morning. We pray that you would speak to us through your word, Lord, that by doing so that uh, we would be made complete and equipped for every good work, knowing that your word uh, contains for us this morning all that we need for life and for godliness. And so God, we pray all of this humbly and boldly because of Christ, and it's in His name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well again um, we have been looking at the past several weeks at this a wonderful chapter uh, in this letter uh, to the church at Philippi that Paul uh, has wrote, uh, and we left off, if you'll remember with me last week, in verse 18, which reads, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice." And so we left off with the Apostle Paul last week, as we just read, and he was rejoicing. Now why was Paul rejoicing? Well, if you remember with me, Paul has been in prison, he has been beaten for the sake of the gospel, Uh, his circumstances, looking on the outside, uh, uh, just doesn't, looking on the outside in, just doesn't seem uh, ideal for the advancement of the gospel. Uh, There are those that are proclaiming Christ, uh, but doing so with wicked motives, looking to afflict Paul in his imprisonment. And yet, Paul could say in verse 18 that he could rejoice. But his rejoicing, as we will recall from last week, was not related to his circumstances in any way. Uh, Paul could rejoice... Because despite his circumstances, despite the fact that he was beaten and placed under house arrest in Rome, he could rejoice despite the fact that there were those preaching Christ, yet with such wicked motives, looking to afflict him and challenge Paul in his imprisonment. And Paul says again that he can rejoice. And he says in the latter part of verse 18 that Christ is proclaimed... And in that, I rejoice. So Paul was rejoicing because despite his circumstances, despite the wicked motives of those preaching Christ, Christ was being preached. And in that, Paul is saying, I am continuing to rejoice. I am continuing to rejoice because Christ is proclaimed. And he's basically saying joy is going to be a feature of my life. and so in our passage this morning uh, he iterates for the believers here just what the source of his rejoicing uh, is going to be so this morning that's what we are going to look at is we are going uh, to look at the basis of Paul's joy and we're going to see that uh, found in three ways uh, this morning and so in verse 19 let's read uh, this verse again together. He says, "For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ this will turn out for my deliverance." And so he says to them starting off in verse 19 to the believers here at Philippi that the basis of his joy is found in what he knows. And what is it that Paul knows in our text? Well, he knows that deliverance is to come, right? And so we are faced then with another question. Well, what is this deliverance that he is referring to? What is this deliverance that he is referring to? Is he referring to an immediate deliverance uh, where he will be released and freed from uh, his bonds in jail? Or is this a, a deliverance referring to the ultimate kind of, of deliverance, where he will be free from the bonds of sin forevermore and be made an heir with Christ, crowned with righteousness. Well, in my studying of this passage, and in particularly this verse, commentators argue both ways, actually. As some say that because of the phrasing here in this text that Paul is speaking of an ultimate deliverance Uh, they think him to be uh, speaking in terms of Job chapter uh, 13 where Job in this chapter makes this most famous statement though he slay me yet I will trust and following that verse in Job chapter 13 he speaks of the circumstances that are going to work out for his deliverance and specifically in that passage Job is not speaking of an immediate deliverance Uh, from what seems as dreadful, what seems as a dreadful predicament that he's in, but Job is speaking of an ultimate deliverance uh, when he will see God. And so some commentators believe Paul to be doing that very same thing here in this passage. Others tend to be convinced that Paul is speaking of an immediate deliverance here. And so they look at this passage and they say, when you look at the way in which his deliverance will be effected, as a result of the prayers of the believers at Philippi and by the help of the Spirit of Christ, that it would seem here that he has in mind an immediate deliverance, freed from his bondage uh, in prison. And so you have some commentators arguing that very thing and you have others commentators arguing uh, that Paul is talking about an ultimate uh, deliverance. Now, We aren't going to spend too much time on this this morning here, but do allow me to say this, that in our text, although there uh, isn't explicitly uh, for us um, what deliverance Paul is talking about here, uh, I think it's safe to assume that in the way in which this passage unfolds, if you will, Paul's whole idea and thought of indifference of deliverance may indeed include both aspects. It may indeed include both the deliverance that he talks about in terms of an ultimate deliverance or indeed uh, an immediate uh, deliverance uh, because he is anticipating uh, staying with the people. If you will look with me in verses 24 and 25, we read, "...but to remain in the flesh..." is more necessary on your account. Verse 25, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. And so he is going to rejoice in that, right? And so, this morning, we are going to look at even further this thought of deliverance here. Now, in verse 19, I want us to notice something. He says, for I know that through your prayers and help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul is relying on the prayers for the Philippians. Now, some might wrongly say that the Apostle Paul is relying on the prayers of the Philippians in the sense that, the mighty apostle, right? The apostle Paul, the one who has seen the risen Christ, who has preached these amazing sermons, through which many have come to faith in Christ, that he is is going to be relying on the prayers of the Philippians? Yes, he is. He is relying on the prayers of the people of God. He says, I am so delighted that I'm I'm going to be delivered as a result of the prayers of the believers at Philippi. So he's saying his deliverance is going to come as a result of the prayers of the believers at Philippi on his behalf. And we see this similarly in Romans chapter 15 and verse 30 there, which Paul says, I appeal to you brothers by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So you see what Paul is longing for here? He is longing that they will be together, that they will be refreshed that his service would be helpful to the saints, that he will be rescued from the pagans around him who are trying to take him over. And so you may ask, well, how will all of this take place? How, will, how is all of that that Paul is praying is going to take place? It's, it's going to take place as a result of the, of the Christians praying in Rome, okay? And I love what Matthew Henry has to say on this, and it's kind of a lengthy quote but I want to read it. I think it's going to help us grasp this point even further. Matthew Henry writes, Let us learn to value the effectual fervent prayers of the righteous. How careful should we be lest we forfeit our interest in the love love and prayers of God's praying people? If we have experienced the Spirit's love, let us not be wanting in this office of kindness for others. Those that would prevail in prayer must strive in prayer. Those who beg the prayers of others must not neglect to pray for themselves. And though Christ knows our state and wants perfectly, he will know them from us. As God must be sought for restraining the ill will of our enemies, so also for preserving and increasing the goodwill of our friends. All our joy depends upon the will of God. Let us be earnest in prayer with and for each other that for Christ's sake, and by the love of the Holy Spirit, great blessings may come upon the souls of Christians and the laborers of ministers. So it's, it's that kind of prayer that that unleashes, if you will, the unfolding plan of God. It's that kind of prayer that the plan of God unfolds, right, through the prayers of His people, by the enabling of the Holy Spirit, and Paul recognizes here. And so Paul is saying, I'm going to be delivered through the prayers of the saints at Philippi. I'm going to be delivered through your prayers by the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And so Paul, in a a sense, is urging them to cry out here. He's urging them to cry out in such a way where they say, "Oh, Father, send your Spirit to Paul and help him. Grant him strength in the midst of his weakness. Father, grant him courage We know that he is concerned with the people making a big fuss about him, but he is wanting Christ to be exalted. Grant, Father, by your grace that Christ indeed would be exalted, that they may only see the glory of Christ. We know that he is also torn between whether to be with you in heaven or to remain here with us, but Father, grant him deliverance according to your will in whichever way you see fit. And so, friends, this morning, this word can be for us that if we want to see a move of God in the hearts of the people in this church, in the hearts of the people in this community, in the hearts of the people in the world, then, brothers and sisters, we must be a praying people. We must be a people who desire to seek the face of God in earnest and continual and humble prayer. Because Paul recognizes in our text that it's through the prayers of the saints at Philippi that is going to serve for his deliverance. It was said of Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones that we couldn't understand his ministry apart from his devotional life, his prayer life. his wife is the one who said that about him. and friends, may that be true of us? May we be a praying people seeking the face of God. As we see here, the Philippians were for Paul. They were a praying people. and So it was was through the prayers of the believers at Philippi that Paul uh, knew his deliverance would come from. It wasn't because of the prayers in and of themselves, but it was because of God working through those prayers and the believers at Philippi right and so the basis of paul's joy is found in what he knows and what he knows about his deliverance nextly i want us to look at the basis of paul's joy uh, is found in what he anticipates in what he anticipates so look with me at verse 20 we read there again As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul here expresses a desire that Christ would be exalted in his life, whether in body by death that he would be faithful uh, that there would be no reason for shame that whether he's standing in human court or before the judgment of God himself that he can say oh may it be that Christ is exalted always in my body so he is concerned here that Christ would be exalted uh, in his life and it's it's really the same idea here that John the Baptist uses When speaking of Christ, he says he must increase and I must decrease. And here we are seeing, really, in this passage, we are seeing the heart of Paul's theology. We never find Paul drawing attention to himself. We always find him pointing to Christ. And that's his concern here. And so he writes to the church at Philippi and he says, My concern is that Christ may be exalted in my body. And it's to that extent that makes Paul joyful. That if Christ is exalted in his life, therefore Paul can be joyful. And if we are in Christ, friends, we are not our own. Nothing that we have is our own. We are simply stewards. The totality of us belongs to God and Paul Rick. Paul recognizes those very truths. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul here, he's writing to the church of Corinth. And he says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. In Galatians chapter 6, At the end of that chapter in verse 17, Paul says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Christ. And so, friends, Paul's body was beaten and continually crushed for the sake of Christ. He spent the rest of his life after his conversion preaching Christ. He was mocked, he was jailed, and he was increasingly beaten. And so Paul says in our text this morning, I rejoice in this, whether it's my life or in my death. I rejoice in that. If Christ is exalted. And so Paul's joy here is found in the exaltation of Christ in his life. I'm reminded a story that I actually came across this week by the providence of God. And it's a story of a Scottish uh, covenanter, uh, and I would like to share that with you, uh, if you will allow me, this morning. On, Ref- on Reformation Day every year, uh, we remember Martin Luther, uh, and we remember that God stirred up uh, in him the flames, uh, if you will his convictions of scripture, uh, and he nailed the 95 theses uh, to the door of the church there. Uh, and the church would be radically different from that point forward. And We all know that. Uh, we all, when it comes to Reformation Day, we all, uh, that's what we celebrate, is we celebrate Luther's uh, boldness, his Convictions of Scripture, right? That we're in this constant uh, stage of of continuing to need to reform to the Word of God. And that was the whole point there. Well, in Scotland, um, there was another Reformation taking place. There was a Reformation happening uh, in Scotland as well. And there was a group called the the Covenanters, uh, and they were chased from place to place for one reason. One reason only, and that is that they affirmed their freedom uh, under God to worship the Lord Jesus Christ and to read the scriptures and to gather uh, in these uh, covenantal gatherings. And so it was that the troops would frequently go out uh, on the Moore sides to find these folks. And on the Fenwick Moore side, on one occasion, they encountered a man named Richard uh, Cameron, and if you aren't very familiar uh, with who Richard uh, Cameron is, you will be after today. Uh, Richard Cameron uh, was a part of a small group, a part of this covenanter group, and uh, on this particular event, a small company of 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 him and some worshiping friends uh, were captured Um, and they killed this man named Richard Cameron who was 32 years old and on their way to the Netherbow in Edinburgh where they were going to display these trophies of war, these troops that had captured and killed uh, Richard Cameron uh, and his worshipping friends. Uh, they stopped uh, at a Tobooth jail where Richard Cameron's father was being held. And they displayed before him uh, Richard Cameron's head and his hands and they put them on two daggers uh, and a sword and they took them before Richard's father and asked him, This father took these uh, hands and head and took them upon his knee and bent over them and he kissed them and he said, I know them, I know them, they are my sons. They are my dear sons. But a surprisingly thing happened that as, as Richard's father is having his son's remains uh, pretty much uh, presented before him that his son was killed uh, really for worshiping the one and true God, for being faithful in worship, that al- although these troops are, are portraying his remains in front of them, an amazing thing happens. He starts to weep, and, and and he starts to praise God before them. He starts to praise God. He went on to say, It is the Lord, it is the Lord. Good is the will of the Lord, who cannot wrong me nor mine, but who has made goodness and mercy to follow us all our days. And my point in bringing up this particular story is that God was glorified through what Richard Cameron's father proclaimed that day. Through Richard Cameron's faithfulness to worship the one and true God through his death, God was glorified. And we know that from reading Scripture, Paul would go on later to be killed himself for the sake of Christ. And yet he could definitely say, whether in life or in death, Christ is exalted. Christ will be glorified in my life. And so, friends, what I ask you this morning, are we living in that same way? Are we living with that same desire, that Christ would be exalted in our life? That if by the providence of God that we have to come to a moment in our lives where we will have to suffer for the sake of Christ. And if by the providence of God that ends up leading to death, can we say with Paul that whether by life or death, Christ will be exalted? Can we say that? Can we truly say that with Paul in every, with every fiber of our being? Friends, if we can't, I think we should examine ourselves. We should examine ourselves. What are are we living for? Are we living to exalt our own name or are we living to exalt Christ? And so that's that's Paul's point here. That's his, in all aspects of his life, whether in life or death, Christ will be exalted. And if that is the case, Paul can rejoice. Paul can have joy because Christ has been exalted. So the basis of Paul's joy is found in what he knew, in that he knew that deliverance would come. Right? Whether that be ultimate deliverance uh, to be with Christ, to be made heirs with Christ, to be freed from the bondage of sin forevermore, or the, whether that be immediate deliverance um, from his bonds uh, in jail to be with the believers at Philippi once again. And we see also that the basis of Paul's joy, right, is found in what he anticipated. What is it that he anticipated? Right? We just looked at it. He anticipated that Christ would be exalted in his life. Whether by life or by death, Christ would be exalted. And thirdly, we look at this morning the basis of. Paul's joy is found in what Christ simply means to him. The basis of Paul's joy is found simply in what Christ means to him. Read with me once again in verse 21. For to me to live is Christ." Die game. This is a very well-known verse of scripture, often I think, that is taken out of context, as many are. But this verse has a lot of depth to it, and if you will this morning, I want to unpack it a little bit. So our, our third point, as I mentioned, is we're, is we're looking at at this verse, that Paul, the basis of Paul's joy is found in what Christ means to him. Paul is joyful for what Christ means to him. And here, if you will look with me, he is looking forward, uh, in a sense, to being ushered into the presence of Christ. And so his joy indeed is found in the very fact that Christ means everything to him. And the reason, friends, that Paul could make a statement like this, a statement like we see in verse 21, that for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The reason that Paul could make a statement like that is because Christ was increasingly all and all to him. Christ was increasingly is all in all. And you see, when a soul longs to be with Christ in a future state, what is happening is that Christ to that very soul is increasingly their all in all. Christ is becoming more and more to them. They're everything. And if he is not our all in all, then this would be a hollow statement to make. And if Christ is not Paul's all in all, then this would be a hollow statement for him to make as well, But that's simply uh, just not the case for Paul. Paul indeed, to Paul, Christ meant everything. Christ was his all in all. And as I said, if, if, if Christ is not our all in all, then this would be a very hollow statement. Because friends, if, if our joy, if all of our joy is earthly, If all of my fulfillment is in my marriage, if all of my fulfillment is in as much as I love my wife, if all that thrills my soul is my kids rather than Christ, if all of my identity is wrapped up in my position or my prominence or my influence, then the prospect of being ushered into the presence of God means nothing. Because we'll have to leave all that behind. We'll have to leave all that behind. That's why, some of us, that's why some of us don't want to go to heaven if truth were to be told honestly. That's why some of us don't want to go to heaven, because Christ is not our all in all. We want heaven now. We want heaven in the sense that we want it down here. We want to be healed now. We want perfect worship now. We want it all now. Why? Because we don't really want to go there and we're not going to get it now. Because if Christ is not our all in all now, then the prospect of being ushered into the presence of God means absolutely nothing. Because the truth of the matter is, friends, we are all going to die. We are all going to lose our loved ones. We are all going to get those dreadful hospital reports. We are all going to face disappointments and deaths and disasters. And the truth is, that's just the part of here and now. That's the reality Of here and now. But what Paul is portraying for us is there's a then to come. There's a then to come. And so now we come up on a dilemma, if you will, in our passage. Paul says, I don't know whether I want to I want then to come or whether I should stick with the here and now. If I go for the if I go for the then to come, It's going to be far better for me. But if I stay with the here and now, it'll be far better for you. So we've come up on this dilemma, and, and, and I get that from verses 22 through 24, which there Paul says, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And so we're getting this picture of this dilemma, and what I want us to understand about this is that although Paul desired to be with Christ, although that Christ was his all in all, he still recognized that he had responsibilities that he was responsible for. He had apostolic responsibilities to the people of God. And so, he says, I'm considering to be with Christ, who is my everything, who is my all in all, which will be fantastic, but I'm going to stay with you. Because that means fruitful labor for you. Right? So Paul says, for, for to me to live is Christ. So if I stay here, it's going to be fruitful labor. But if I die, it's, it's going to be gain as well. And although I look to that, I know that I must remain with you. Okay? Because that means fruitful labor. Because he says in verse 25, I know that I will remain. I will continue with that. Race. For that reason, for your progress, and your your joy, Paul is saying simply in this verse that he is convinced that it is right for him to stay with the believers here at Philippi because it will be for their progress and for their joy. And so, although. Paul longed to be with Christ. And friends, I want to make clear that Paul didn't just long to be with Christ to get out of his circumstances. But Paul longed to be with Christ because Christ was everything to him. But he also knew that for him to stay would be for the benefit of the believers at Philippi. Because it would be fruitful labor for him, right? It would be fruitful labor for him. So, Paul knew that he would be delivered. And although ultimately he looked for that ultimate deliverance, there was an immediate deliverance that had to take place first. the Lord wasn't done with him ministering to the believers of Philippi just yet and that leads us to the closing verses of this chapter verses 27 through 30 only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for their faith, for the faith of the gospel, I'm not frightened by not frightened in anything by your opponents, and this is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation and that from God, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only. Believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So where does Paul leave us after all of that? What does he say now to the church at Philippi? He says in verse 27, Only let your manner of life be worthy. So Paul began this chapter with a joyful remembrance for the believers at Philippi. He then goes on to continue talking about how the gospel was going to continue to advance. That despite the nature of Paul's circumstances, despite the fact that he was imprisoned and beaten, despite the wicked motives of others, that although Christ was being preached, the gospel would advance. And in that he could have joy. And as we just looked at the nature of of Paul's joy, why he was joyful. He was joyful because of what he knew. He was joyful because of what he anticipated. And he was joyful because of what Christ meant to him. And now he says, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Okay, so then that begs a the question then. How do we live a manner how do we live in a manner worthy of the gospel, Paul? How do we do that? How is how is that possible? Look with me at verse twenty seven again. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, and this is where we want to focus. I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So Paul here in verse 27 to conclude our chapter he wanted the Philippians to know that walking the worthy walking in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ was to be done by standing firm in one spirit, in one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He wanted them to stay together as one body, not being fragmented, not being broken up, not being divided. He wanted them to be unified. And that this kind of unity would indeed produce an ever-increasing trust and belief in the gospel not only among the believers at Philippi, but among those who have never heard the gospel either. And he wanted the believers to be bold before their adversaries. Look with me at verse 28. He says, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. He wanted the believers there to have the same kind of boldness that Paul had. And this kind of boldness that they would have would be a clear sign of their adversary's destruction. If you will, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, we read, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14, we read, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of God of glory, and of God rests upon you. And so through this, Paul is warning them that suffering will come, afflictions will come. And Paul, being an example of those things, is warning them of this. And no doubt, Paul being an example would have had to have been a comfort to them. That them witnessing Paul going through these very things would comfort them. And he says to them, be bold. Stand firm. Knowing suffering for Christ's sake is a privilege. You are blessed, as we just read, if you are insulted for the name of Christ. So stand boldly. Paul says, because this will prove of their adversary's destruction and judgment. But notice, he says, it will also prove as evidence of their salvation. Versus so it will also prove as evidence of their salvation. Verses 29 through 30. Read those with me again. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. And so, friends, what Paul is doing is he is is closing this chapter by saying, same way as it was granted unto you to believe in Christ. So also is it the same way that has been granted unto you the privilege to suffer for his sake. He says they don't need to fear their enemies because that meant God had abandoned them. No, the very opposite is true. Their present difficulty was granted to them not as a punishment, but as a tool in God's sovereign Hand And you can imagine for a second Paul is saying look at what God has done with me Look at where he has placed me. He has placed me in house arrest in Rome There are those that are preaching Christ yet. They are doing so with wicked motives trying to afflict me and to challenge me But God has used those very things not to punish me and not to hinder the work of the gospel But to advance the very gospel through those things because now I get to share Christ with the whole imperial guard and let everyone know that I am here as a prisoner of Jesus Christ, that although there are those that are preaching with wicked motives, they are still preaching Christ. And I can rejoice in that because God is sovereignly working out his plan through those things. I can rejoice because of those very things. And so because of those very things, Believers at Philippi, you need to be bold. You need to stand firm and you need to trust in the sovereign hand of an all-knowing and all-wise God. And friends, that's what needs to be said to us today. We need to be bold. We need to stand firm in unity as the body of Christ and trust that no matter what circumstances we're in, no matter the wicked motives of others, that our joy is rooted and grounded in Christ Himself. And that we should trust in an all knowing and an all wise God. And that's a word I think. Let's be bold, and let's stand firm for the sake of the gospel. Amen. Amen. If you will, go to the Lord in prayer with me. Well, Heavenly Father, we are so grateful. For your word, the truths that we find in your word, Lord, knowing that they are for our benefit, that you have granted us your word, which is sufficient for our lives, that contains all that we need for this life and to live godly lives. So, God, we thank you. Specifically for this letter to the church at Philippi, we thank you for the truths that the Apostle Paul brings to our attention, that although he was imprisoned, that although from the outside in it looked like there would be no hope for the gospel to advance, You are a sovereign God, Lord, that you um, have worked everything out for your goodwill and for your glory. And Father, we are reminded also in this chapter that we should trust in that very truth, that we should trust in you who is sovereign, Lord may our joy not be found in earthly things that will that are here one second and gone the other. But Lord, if we are in Christ, may our joy be found in Christ, in Himself. Knowing that we too uh, can expect an ultimate deliverance from the bondage of this flesh, from the bondage of sin. Lord, may we anticipate as the apostle Paul did, that through the working of your Spirit, that Christ would be exalted in our lives, and Father, may Christ mean everything to us. That whether we continue in this life, that it is for Christ, or whether you providentially decide to bring us home, we know that that is also for gain. As we will be made heirs with Christ forevermore. And so, Lord, help us this morning as believers here at Burton. Help us, as Paul urged the believers here at Philippi, help us to stand bold in unity. Help us to stand firm, not fearing uh, our adversaries, not fearing the adversary. Lord, help us to trust in you ever the more. God, we ask all of this in Christ's name.